Give me a show of hands. How many of you have ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? Either the, uh, you know, the classic one with uh, Charlton Heston or the uh, more modern one, yeah, right. It's a great movie. Uh, if you've never seen it, you should take the time to watch it. It's the story of a, a young man, a young Jewish man, Judah Ben-Hur, or son of Hur, who uh, is a contemporary of Jesus Christ, although of course he doesn't know that at the time and how he is betrayed by his childhood friend who is a, a Roman and sent into what they think is certain death, but he uh, overcomes and returns to uh, save his family and to wreak vengeance upon his enemies. But when he returns to Judea, his life begins to, in a seemingly random way, tangentially be connected with the preaching of this character named Jesus. And in a climactic moment of his life and of the movie, he encounters Jesus on his way to Mount Calvary carrying the cross. And it really is a story about how uh, Jesus changes the life of Ben-Hur. And so it is, in a sense, a very uh, good reflection on the mystery of the incarnation, of how Jesus is coming. It really does change our lives. But the reason that I was thinking of it is because, you all know, I'm a, a bookworm. And so several years ago, I read the book, uh, Ben-Hur, that the movie is based off of. One of the things that stood out to me from reading the book was like the first four chapters of the book are actually all about the three wise men uh, coming together and having this big conversation. And Lewis Wallace, who is the, the author, of course, he's taken some artistic license here, but this is the way that he imagines the three wise men. He imagines that... Uh, Gaspar, which is another a version of Caspar, uh, is a Greek, and that he has studied Greek philosophy and come to the conclusion that there can only be one God. Then he imagines Melchior as an Indian and uh, a part of the Hindu religion. In fact, he's a Brahmin, one of the highest of the uh, levels of the caste system in India. And he also, by uh, studying the, the Vedic texts, which are the holy books of Hinduism, uh, and by his concern and compassion towards the, the outcasts uh, or the untouchables among the Indian caste system, he too has come to the conclusion there must be one true God who is loving and merciful. And then lastly, he imagines Balthazar as an Egyptian priest. This is maybe the most... Uh, surprising and interesting thing that he does. He, he imagines that when Moses leads the Hebrew people out of Israel with all the plagues and signs and wonders, that the Egyptian priests actually secretly begin to worship this god of Moses, and that uh, Balthazar has decided that this god is the true god. And so because these three uh, men have, have come to this belief that there is one true God, they are sent the star, right? And the star guides them to where the Christ child is as God makes himself known in this uh, new and amazing way. And so, uh, although that's just kind of imaginary, nonetheless, it reminds me of two very important things that we should be thinking about today. First of all, and really this is always what we think about when we think of the three wise men, that salvation is for all. Jesus has come for all the nations. It doesn't matter what uh, religion you are, what nationality you are, what ethnicity you are, whether you're, uh, what position in so uh, society you are. 
Jesus has come for you. There is salvation for all. This is what we believe. But as soon as we say that, of course, we run up against a question. If we say that salvation is for all, what are we to make about the fact that the church teaches, and indeed, Jesus himself teaches, that he is the only way to the Father? As St. Peter says very clearly, in, uh, there is no other name by which we may be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. So what then about all the people who don't know Jesus Christ? The people who lived before Jesus Christ. The people who still live today in parts of the world where the Christian gospel is not preached. Or, of course, those people who maybe have heard of Christianity, but the, uh, the kinds of Christians they know are not very credible witnesses of what Jesus says. What are we to say about those people? Can there be truly uh, salvation for those who do not really know Jesus Christ if he is the only way to the Father? And that brings us to the second thing that uh, Wallace's imaginary presentation of the, uh, the wise men reminds me of, and that is the beautiful thing about the Christian religion, and in particular the Catholic religion, is that we are not a religion that says we are right and everyone else is wrong. No, rather we say that we have the fullness of the faith. We have the fullness of religion. But in every religion, there are elements of truth and goodness and beauty, and we respect those as something from God. This, of course, gives us a way of dialoguing, of coming to common ground with anyone, with anyone. I want to read you this passage from the Second Vatican Council document, Nostre Aetate. This is the document about the church's relationship with non-Christian religions. Paragraph two, this is what it says. Other religions found everywhere try to counter the restlessness of the human heart, each in its own manner, by proposing ways, comprising teachings, rules of life, and sacred rites. The Catholic Church rejects nothing that is true and holy in these religions. She regards with sincere reverence those ways of conduct and of life those precepts and teachings which, though differing in many aspects from the one she holds and sets forth, nonetheless often reflect a ray of that truth which enlightens all men. Indeed, she proclaims, and ever must proclaim Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, in whom men may find the fullness of religious life, in whom God has reconciled all things to himself. So what does that mean? It means that uh, although we know that Christ is the true light who enlightens the whole world, we can see that God himself, Christ himself, has put into all cultures and all religions certain rays of that same light. It is he who has made Greek philosophy a carrier of the truth. It is he who has made the myths of the Hindu religion something that can bring about truth and beauty in the minds of its adherents. It is he who has made all that is timeless and eternal in Egyptian history something that we can still appreciate and learn from today. Everything that is good and true and beautiful in every culture and in every religion can be brought into the light of Christ where we can see it's even greater goodness, greater truth, and greater beauty. That is what we believe. And see, that gives us such a great opportunity as Catholics to be able to, to meet people, other people, other religions and cultures where they are, and, and value them. 
And not to, not to say that they're all wrong, but to say that we can dialogue and come to a, a deeper understanding. And then, of course, we want to lead them on to the fullness of Christ. Now, someone may say, of course, well, you know, if there is this opportunity for God to lead people in some way to salvation uh, outside of the church here on earth, right, if you, uh, if you can do that, then why should we lead people to Christ? Why shouldn't we encourage Hindus to get to heaven by being good Hindus and Muslims to get to heaven by being good Muslims? But see, what is that like? It's like saying, well, we're all together at a big party and there's hors d'oeuvres being served. But we, uh, our family, because we're special friends of the, the host, we know that at a particular time, in a particular room of the house, there is going to be a great meal served, a lavish meal, which is really the whole center and focus of the party. Now, at that point, if we were like, well, you know, let everybody else enjoy the hors d'oeuvres, we're not going to tell them about the meal, right? That would be a terrible thing to do. That would be a very selfish thing to do. It is instead our duty to tell them about the meal so that they can join and enjoy. And see, it is exactly this meal that we have come to celebrate today, the, the Eucharist, the, this meal which is just a foretaste of the true heavenly banquet. And so why would we ever deny the, the nations, all religions, all peoples, the opportunity to hear that good news, right? Our belief that there is goodness and value in every culture and religion is not an excuse for not preaching the gospel. It is the very motivation for why we should preach the gospel. So that as the, just as the three wise men came to adore our Lord in the manger, we, each time that we come to mass, should come on bended knee to adore him in this sacred meal. But more than that, to encourage and proclaim and invite all peoples to come and to worship the one true Savior of the world, Christ the Lord, who comes to us today in Holy Communion. <laughs>